Hello and welcome to The Local Authority, the podcast by Local Government Chronicle. Each month we bring together leaders and changemakers from within and around local government to discuss the most significant social challenges facing the sector. If you enjoy this podcast, please do leave us a rating on the podcast platform of your choice and recommend this episode to your colleagues. You can keep up to date with all the latest in local government news at lgcplus.com. Welcome to The Local Authority, the podcast from Local Government Chronicle. I'm Sarah Kalkin, LGC Editor, and today we're going to be discussing the crisis in children's services. For many councils, pressures in children's social care now outstrip those in adults. And spending has increased hugely over recent years. But despite that, there is concern children are often not getting the care and support they need. With social workers overstretched and shortages of placements, meaning young people can often find themselves placed many miles from the people and places they know. To discuss what has gone wrong and what needs to happen to fix a broken system, I'm joined by an expert panel today, Josh McAllister, Chair of the 2022 Independent Review of Children's Social Care and now Executive Chair of Foundations, the What Works Centre for Children's Services. And I should also say, um, a very long introduction, uh, Labour's prospective parliamentary candidate for West Cumbria. We also have Andy Smith, Strategic Director for Children's and Adult Social Services at Derby City Council and Vice President of ADCS, the Association for Directors of Children's Services. And Louise Gittins, Chair of the Local Government Association's Children and Young People's Board and Leader of Cheshire West and Chester Council. Louise, can I can I come to you first and and just ask you a bit? What does it look like in Cheshire West and Cheshire? What how are these pressures being felt? So it's it's really quite bleak actually. Um, this time last year, we set um, a balanced budget for twenty three twenty four, and at that stage, we didn't predict by any stretch of the imagination the pressures that we'd find in children's services. So when we got to our mid year reporting, we were finding ourselves um, in a position where we had an overspend in children's services of about nine million pounds. Um, and what we found is really in that in the last year, we've seen a steady increase in the number of children who were coming into care, an increase in complex needs. Um, but actually the the rate at which the cost of looking after the children in care has risen beyond belief, to be honest. Um, I think we've had something like a 14% interest in the number of children, but about a 60% increase in the cost of looking after those children. Um, and I think we're, we're finding that since the pandemic, the, the complexity, particularly around mental health, um, has, has really, really um, increased. And we've also seen a reduction in mental health services in the NHS. So there's less support um, for children in there. And um, it's, it's just not something we would have predicted. We actually had budget scrutiny this week. And I was asked that question, why didn't you predict last February this was going to happen? And what is going to happen this year? What are your predictions? And we re we really don't know. Um, so it, it is really grim. And I know nationally, uh, the number of children in care is at the highest since current records began. Um, and, you know, just to give you some information um, about the cost, the cost has gone up a thousand percent in the last five years. Um, and it's 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 that really that um, is is causing the problem. Yeah, 
Yeah. And Andy, is that a picture you recognize from Derby? And, and what, what's the impact of that on, on children? Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Sarah. I mean, the, the picture that Louise has outlined is really challenging and very bleak. And I think you could talk to any director of children's services, any council leader and find a very similar picture, very similar profile in terms of, um, increased demand and particular complexity of need. And you've kind of got the perfect storm really of, uh, a kind of reduction in central government funding for local government, which has fallen by something like half since 2010, with more children and families needing help and support with more complex needs. And clearly our ambition to try and get any as early as possible um, when issues start to emerge and work with our partners in trying to prevent things from getting worse, but that becoming really difficult because budgets get squeezed and you focus on the statutory, the more child protection end of things, and it's your early help, those early prevention services that are often the first to go. So yes, I absolutely recognise that increase in demand. And I think for Derby specifically, whilst we haven't necessarily seen a massive spike in looked after children, our looked after children numbers are now below where they were before the COVID-19 pandemic. What we've actually seen though is a significant increase in the costs um, of those placements. So our um, top 10 children in the most expensive placements has gone up by about a million pounds in the last year. So it's now just short of 11 million uh, and some of those children will be at unregulated placements where we struggled because of um, challenges really sometimes in the secure estate keeping children or, or challenges in finding placements where you've got doll's orders in place. Um, but also just the increase in the cost of residential placements uh, and too often children in the wrong placement. So kids not getting the right support at the right time. Josh, does this all sound familiar to you from your review last year and what... Um you know, what do you think would be the priorities in terms of addressing these these problems? I mean, it definitely resonates. And one of the what what you know, one of the things that we see is that even when bits of extra money go into the current system, so last week, I think it was, or, or two weeks ago, we had the announcement of about five hundred million pounds uh, of additional money for adult and children's social care. It, that was very typical of the way in which extra money finds its way into the system, which is short-term, last-minute, filling a gap, um, sticking plaster approach. And quite tellingly, in Deluxe advice to local authorities, it was that that money should go into things that are going to um, calm down the system and rebalance it towards earlier support for families. You cannot effectively lead that change on short-term um, stipends of money. Uh, it just doesn't work. So the, the the risk is, and we actually do see this in the figures, when short-term funds find their way into the system, what they end up doing is actually further fueling the same system dynamics that have gotten us to the place we are currently at. So in the last year, we've seen a 20% increase in the spending on residential care for children. We're now spending £2.5 billion a year as a country on residential care which is a staggeringly large amount of money. And yet we know that one in three children who are currently in residential care, it says on their care plan, they should be in a foster home. And we know there are lots of children in foster care who could be cared for by their wider family network. And we know that there are family networks stepping in when parents themselves, if they got help and support, intensive help and support, some of them could be looking after their children successfully. So all of the shoulds and coulds and, and maybes that you add up together 
needs to be done at the same time with scale and ambition and a real program that lasts three, four, five years. And yet what we have are, you know, small amounts here and there, none of which is of enough velocity to change the dynamics of the system. Um, and so we have to live with a few truths at the same time, which is everyone wants it to change. Everyone agrees on the broad program, not everything about it, but the broad program of reform that's needed. There's big consensus on that. And at the same time, it's getting more expensive and not achieving the outcomes we want it to. And they're a set of truths that are pretty um, incongruent. It's hard to kind of hold those different truths in mind at the same time. You know, it's costing more, it's delivering worse outcomes, it's not sustainable. Everyone agrees what needs to change. Everyone's up for it. And we're spending the money anyway. <laughs> you know, this is the other thing about the, the, the money that the government put in. Uh, when uh, I published the review, I called for £2.6 billion over four years. And I said, look, if we don't put that money in, it will have to be spent anyway. And I'm completely confident that money will be spent. But it will be spent in um, propping up a system that's letting down too many kids and too many families. And we see that in the um, in the announcement that came out of DLUC last week. You know, the extra money is helpful, but had 200 of that 500 million been bundled in with the reform program uh, last year, then we would have had 400 million for a proper two-year reform program, not 200 million. And, you know, by the time we get to the end of the two years that the government have allocated for the first wave of stable homes built on love, the, the reform program, I can guarantee you there will have been a number of other government short-term interventions to plug the gap with money. If they just made the decision up front with some common sense, local authorities would have more confidence, um, there'd be more accountability for how it's being spent, and we'd stand a much better chance of rebalancing where, where money goes. Yeah, I can see lots of nodding there from Louise and, and Andy. Um, I guess how do we're now in a position where we're in a general election year? It, it's unlikely, you know, the current government isn't going to embark on a probably major reform program now. Although arguably it could have could have done more. Um, you know, when when the review was published two years ago. So where do we what where do we go next? What <laughs> Is it about thinking about what the next government could do and what should be their their priority? And Andy, yeah, I mean that's a really key question and one that we're certainly um, asking within the ADCS. It's it's really really important. I mean, Stable Homes Built on Love set out a blueprint uh, for the future of social care, which um, the ADCS broadly welcome. There's a lot in there which could make an impact if it's properly resourced and if there is a, an ambitious plan around implementation, as Josh has outlined. I think the concern at the moment is around what may or may not happen as a result of just the hiatus that happens between um, one uh, government and a general election. And it's going to be really important that implementation of the reforms really continues at pace, uh, that there isn't any uh, impact from the forthcoming general election. And we need to have the learning, the coherency, the join up between the different pathfinders so that we can you know, share the learning and really start to scale up. I also um, wonder if there is the conversations to have between the DfE and the Treasury in terms of what might be able to be expedited um, in terms of trying to, to, to roll out much more quickly. Um, I think 
part of the challenge, though, just going back to that kind of wider local government context, is that, you know, for all the reasons that Josh has outlined in terms of the temporary short-term nature of local government funding and what is frankly a sticking plaster in terms of the 500, 600 million that was announced last, last week, the challenge is that you've got more and more councils heading towards that financial cliff edge. And so the conditions that we need to have in place to make the reforms work and land and that improve outcomes for children become really even more challenging. Um, so I think, you know, there's a wider context there that I worry about in terms of councils being able to, you know, have the foundations in place and the right focus to implement the reforms, whilst also making sure that we keep and maintain the pressure on government and on the DfE um, to absolutely go forward as quickly as possible with the reforms, because we're in the crisis now. Uh, and so we need to see some of the solutions and some of the impacts now for the benefit of everybody and particularly for children. And do you, do you sort of agree with Josh's assessment and the assessment of the, the care review that you know, there should be more, more, more children can be safely remain with their families with more early intervention and early help and the expansion of kinship care and that's something that ADCS supports? Yeah, absolutely. And we've been having, I was actually only in a, a roundtable discussion today with the DfE in relation to um, the kinship care strategy and the kind of next steps around implementation. I mean, I think it's really, really positive that the uh, care reviewers really raised a profile of kinship carers. I think there is something about who and what we mean by kinship care that we need to work through going forward. But I think, you know, the kind of profile and the set of national rules around uh, kinship care and particularly around getting the finances right, I I think is, is 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 a good thing and is really really important. Uh, so absolutely, but I can't underestimate or, or overestimate um, just how important it is to um, focus on the fact that we've got too many children in the wrong types of placements at the moment. I mean, within Derby, uh, I mean, I've been uh, director of children's services for um, eight years now. Um, and a qualified social worker kind of grew up in the kind of child protection system in terms of my social work career. And I'm having conversations with my team about seven or eight year olds going into residential care that should be in foster placements. You know, it's just extraordinary um, that we're having that type of conversation. And I'm not the only DCS in that space. So something is really wrong uh, and we need to kind of work together to put this right. Yeah, that's that's heartbreaking, isn't it? To think it's of tragic. a child that young in a, in a home like that. Um, Louise, you mentioned... Can I, Sarah, sorry, just a quick thing to jump in on because... Um, I've agreed with everything that Louise and that Andy have said so far, and and there's a lot of consensus. Um, and thinking about the audience for this podcast to sort of break the coziness slightly, whilst I do believe that the extra money is needed as part of that program to rebalance the system, uh, and you know, fairly fairly major amount of investment to get to get it back in control. And um, whilst the review set out uh, pretty comprehensively the the nature of poverty as a contributory causal factor um, and also established that where local authorities had access to the revenue, so um, local authorities like Camden who run brilliant services have got access to lots of business rates, whereas those like Middlesbrough do not, you know, there is not parity in the funding formula at the moment. So whilst I recognise we do need extra money, the allocation of money that is already there is not fairly distributed and the areas that are serving more deprived communities have got a, a tougher, a much tougher challenge. Even when you control for those factors, there is disparity in how the system currently um, responds to significant harm 
and support for families, which sees us have too wide a variance in the number of children entering care. And that comes down to leadership and the quality of practice in the system, which is too variable. So I wouldn't want people to sort of look at the government's plan and say, okay, it's in the right direction, but it's not going far or fast enough. Therefore, we just need to wait. I would want local services to say, we there are things we can do now lots of things we can do now to help rebalance the system, make those better decisions. And I'm often sat in rooms with social workers and senior managers who are grappling with how to support, you know, a grandparent who's had a stroke, who's raising two kin, and the system can't figure out the best way to support them. You actually don't need government to tell you what to do in order to make better decisions about that. That's in the hands of the locally led system and and hopefully excellent practitioners using their judgment with uh, local political leaders backing um, so that there are, you know, we're not powerless in this system. There's lots of things that, that people can do locally with all the caveats I've added up front about the, the need for national action. Yeah, Louise, do you think that's a fair challenge? Yeah, I do. And actually, speaking on behalf of the team at Cheshire West and Chester, they've really stepped up to this challenge. So whereas as um, painting a very bleak peak, picture earlier on um the team have really grasped this um but not just us in cheshire west we're working sub-regionally as well so there's something called foster four which is a collaborative between eight local authorities in the cheshire merseyside icb where we're working together to recruit uh foster um carers but using the mockingbird um model as as a way of going forward where you have that wraparound support uh, with the foster carers so that they can stabilize the placements and keep the children in a loving foster um, care placement. So I think there are examples of where that's happening. I mean, I chair the Children's Improvement Board for the LGA and we actually met this morning um, and we were hearing from London. So we have each regional area comes in and presents and London is a very different situation. Exactly what Josh has said, there's lots of money washing around in the system. They don't have any inadequate uh, children's services in the London area, whereas the rest of the, the country does. So I think there's a lot of learning that we can do from each other. Um, and it is about local leadership and making sure, you know, there's trauma-informed practice that we're doing as, mo most, as much as we can do to keep children in their loving homes. Um, and the kinship approach is really important. But I think we need to work with close with other agencies, for example, the police. Give a really good example. The police turn up at someone's house, the mum's drunk. Um, you know, it's all uh, a lot of shouting and out of control. And the police's first reaction could be, right, this child needs taking into care, when actually the grandmother lives around the corner um, and so I think there's a lot of work we need to do across the whole of the system to try and improve it. And I would like to say we are we are really working hard around that. So, yes, it is bleak, but we're not just sitting and moaning and groaning. We are proactively trying to do something. And actually, our children in care numbers are reducing significantly now. So I didn't want to say that because, you know, it's... <laughs> But they are they are coming down, and it's because that really, really, all of the team pulling together to to do that. Yeah, and you, it's interesting you mentioned they're working with 
um, neighbouring authorities because one of the recommendations of the McAllister Review was this regional care cooperatives. And so Josh, please jump in if I'm wrong, but I think the idea that was around sort of tackling some of the cost and availability issues around placements. The idea that if you kind of commission over a broader footprint, you can, you can sort of manage supply better. But Andy, ADCS were quite resistant to that. And I just wonder why, why was that? Well, I think the ADCS thought that there, um, was some really positive things in terms of the, um, regional care co- cooperatives. But at the same time, I think it was about trying to work through those things that need to be commissioned and identified on a, on a national footprint and, and how, um, across regions, um, authorities can come together. Yes, to understand the need in their area, but to also work through those things that potentially would lend themselves to a more kind of regional collaborative space and footprint, um, whilst also identifying those things that might need to be done on a more kind of national scale. So just trying to ensure that there was the kind of clarity about where the accountability and the responsibility sits. So I don't think it was a million miles away, but I think it was a more nuanced approach. Uh, and clearly, um, the DFE, uh, I think a processing or, or working through, um, I think, the uh, range of different applications that have gone in from regions in relation to uh, regional care cooperatives. But I think, you know, the, the thing I would say about um, kind of a whole placement sufficiency piece is one around the fact that what we need to see, um, I think, is a, a plan from government which really kind of outlines what that um, short, medium and long-term position looks like in relation to placement sufficiency. I mean, I've been Vice President of the ADCS now for nearly a year. And if I kind of reflect on my diary for the last year in terms of ADCS um, meetings, just to kind of, you know, give you a bit of an insight into it, I've probably been in more meetings about placement sufficiency both in relation to um, foster care, residential care, um, and accompanied asylum-seeking young people, than any other type of issue uh, over the past 12 months. Um, And I think what's been lacking is, you know, a kind of plan that really outlines how we try and move forward. And that might be in relation to market intervention in the residential market. It might be in relation to how we work with with IFAs in terms of understanding, you know, their kind of position and their... um, um, their kind of capacity within a region. Um, you know, I think what's in Stay Behind's Built and Love is really important in terms of the kind of position around residential care, fostering kinship care. But some of that is more medium term. And actually, the crisis that we're experiencing is now. And what we sometimes lack is that kind of direction from government. Yes, a lot of stuff is going on regionally. I mean, within within the East Midlands, we have, you know, a, a Derbyshire, Derby, Nottingham, Nottinghamshire footprint. We call it DT. And we're doing a lot of work in relation to how we commission more specialist placements, working with the ICB, working across four local authorities. Um, you know, we're involved in the DfE fostering pilot um, and rolling out, um, you know, the Mockingbird program. But I just feel that some of the kind of direction from the centre has been lacking in this space, uh, and the kind of recognition that we have got, we've got a challenge now in terms of, you know, um, having the right placement at the right time for children, which is why we've got the problems that we've been reflecting on here. Yeah. And so in terms of this question around placements and do we need a market intervention? I mean, I mean, Lu- Louise, do you think we do? And, and what would that look like? I think um, we need to learn from what's happening in Scotland. And I know Wales are looking at um, putting a cap on profiteering. So I know there is some concern that in some places in Scotland, it's resulted in a total lack of 
availability of placement. So I think we need to look at that really closely. But there is something that we can do, actually. And I think if we had capital access to capital investment, um, we could do more about bringing children who are out of area um, into um, our own um, areas. So I know it's a, a, something we're trying to fast track so that we're developing our own new children's homes, small homes with, you know, one, two, three or four children um, with that sort of 24-hour support. So actually, it's not just about revenue, it's about capital investment. Um, and I think there needs to be investment in children's mental health services as well, sort of uh, alongside that. But I think we do need, to, before jumping in on the profiteering, which is our sort of gut reaction, we need to learn the lessons from Scotland and when Wales introduced those so that we can do it in a, a way that won't impact on, on children. Josh, where do you stand on that question around intervention in the market? Yeah, I, I often feel like when we're trying to figure this out, we're sort of trying to tweak around with a fundamentally dysfunctional system and actually what needs to change is something more more fundamental Th this was probably the area in the review where we spent um the most time or at least it was one of the areas where we spent the most time trying to grapple with you know notions of profit caps or, or banning profit um uh you know elaborate forms of commissioning arrangements and all the rest of it we i ended up concluding on regional care cooperatives for a few reasons one is that the English system is starting from a uniquely privatised position. 80% of residential care is now run uh, for profit uh, and fostering is increasingly becoming privatised. And yet they are two systems wholly funded by local government. And so something has happened where local government, intentionally or not, has overseen a period of of pretty dramatic privatisation of these services. It's local authority spending. They've got control over the budgets. And there is something about the, how small local authorities are within this big system that makes it very hard for them to shape, plan, and get control of the types of residential homes and foster homes that kids need. So... Um, it, this, the Competition and Markets Authority uh, undertook a, a review looking at the market uh, in parallel with my review, which and it informed the final conclusions. They their comment was very very clear. Their conclusion that the current commissioning arrangements between local authorities are insufficiently um, uh, uh, integrated. They're not going far enough. And I saw that myself. I mean, I went to meet with directors of children's services and chief executives of councils and lead members who were all meeting together pretty regularly to try and come up with some shared commissioning arrangements. They were arduous often to coordinate. It was very easy for one of those local authorities to break ranks. And often what they were talking about spending together in the grand scheme of their spending was pretty small. So if you take Greater Manchester for uh, as an example, some of the work that they've been doing, and they're sort of probably more at the at the far end of integration is spending a tiny proportion of their total care spending together. What should be happening, and local authorities, you know, there's lots of reasons why local authorities won't want to do this, but what should be happening is a whole integration of all of care spending. So we're talking about £7 billion across England into um, probably something more like 15 to 20 regional care cooperatives rather than 153 separate 
local authorities. And the reason I made that uh, recommendation and got to that conclusion is that the process of recruiting and finding, um, stewarding, supporting, cajoling, training, foster carers, and the very technical process of planning out and building, resourcing, and sustaining children's homes are really unusual um, services to provide. You know, most families, most children don't come into contact with them. So they're very specialist. And making, building those services to meet the needs of children within an area is costly. And it's, it's probably too costly for an individual local authority to take the bet on how to spend capital by themselves to achieve those goals. So, you know, if you're, um, if you're in Cheshire or in Derby, you know, the number of children you're talking about uh, who might need some form of residential care over the next five years is relatively small. And so for you to make the investment decision to build a home or create provision, knowing that it might sit empty or that you end up needing to sell it in a market to children who are far flung and further away, um, th that th that's why local authorities have not been able to sort of keep control of uh, a public end of the system. And that's why it's been privatised. And, and on foster care, you know, whilst ADCS have been pretty oppositional to RCCs, they have been oppositional at the same time as we see the steady privatisation of the fostering system. So each and every year when Ofsted produced data on um, the fostering system, we see the proportion of the fostering system that's run by IFAs go up and up. Um, and the number of um, local authority um, foster carers is going down. So my belief is if we carry on trying to run the care system through... 153 local authorities. I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident we know what the answer to that will be because that's the experiment we've been running for the last 20 or 30 years. Um, and, and, and it's, it's quite a big change, but, um, we do need that full scale of RCCs where all of the money for care is being spent together, planned out properly so that we can create the bespoke full range of homes that kids need within that area. Louise, do you want to come come in on that and then I'll come to Andy? Yeah, just very quickly, really. I think um, part of the issue is this feels like a top-down sort of, uh, this is what you need to do. I'll give the example. We're part of Cheshire Merseyside ICB and I'm chair of the Healthcare Partnership. We had a really good session in November about children and the challenges that we're facing. And we had some presentations from the different local authorities and people started saying things like, oh, well, if I've got a vacancy, we can work together on that. So I think, I think because it's a totally new way of working, I think there's a way of getting people to come together because they want to achieve the same things. And don't get me wrong, I'm chair of the um, Cooperative Council's Innovation Network, so I like the sound of this, but I'm not sure everybody understands what it means and people are reluctant to let go. So I think it's the type of thing that that's, could happen alongside yeah. the, the other things that are going on. And certainly the Foster Four Collaborative, we're calling it, is there's only one uh, local authority in Cheshire Merseyside who hasn't come on board yet, and we're hoping there will be. But that's a good example where we're working together 
um, around foster, fostering and, and, you know, having that common goal of trying to recruit foster, foster carers. And it is working and we're getting super foster carers now, you know, people with experience um, who can deal with more challenging um, children and young people. So I think there's, you know, it's slowly, slowly sort of approach on some of these things, but I think it's really interesting. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's really encouraging. And I saw, you know, lots of the promising things like this. My, my push and challenge to the system is that is the slowly, slowly. Th- this is really urgent, and actually, what we're looking at requires such a shift um, that that we need to get cracking with it. And and I also think, I mean, um, Louise's point about people not necessarily fully getting what the proposal was. I'm not even sure the DFE fully get what the proposal was because actually. The um, what, what you're describing, Josh, to me sounds a bit like an NHS for children's. Well, it's, it's children's a, it, it, sort of children's yeah. uh, placement provision, if not not all children's social care, but the the placement side of it. It's, it's not just commissioning, right? So it's it's actually running instead of the ten local authorities in Greater Manchester still keeping ten separate fostering teams. It would be one GM fostering team. Individual local authorities would no longer be involved in the process of recruiting and training and assessing foster carers. And the same with residential care. The local authority would be the corporate parent. It would be responsible for where that child goes, but they'd essentially um, buy the care through an exchange run by the local authorities with a dedicated body who's sole focus was spending that spending power which is considerable you know across greater manchester it'd be hundreds of millions of pounds spending it really wisely over five to ten years with borrowing capacity so that they can create the type of um really specialist care that an, an example i use for this is we've got loads of kids in care being sent to young offenders institutes on remand and um, some of them never get um convicted and um and it's a big problem for the secure estate. And we've been talking about this for years. We used to have remand fostering and it's disappeared almost entirely from the system. Now, if you had a regional care cooperative, they could find, you know, if you gave them the mission over the next two years, find us five remand foster homes, you'd be able to do that because you've got a big budget, a big team and the capability to do it. If you ask an individual local authority to create remand fostering functions, it's not going to happen. They don't have the bandwidth. Um, and so that's really, yeah, That it's one of those policy ideas. It does take a bit of explaining. I appreciate that. Yeah. Andy, do you want to respond I'm to that? Sorry to, to interrupt. That. I'm going to have to go now. Is that okay? And I'll let you get on with it. But I'm on a mission now, Josh. We should catch up at some stage. Yeah, great. We should do something with the Cooperative uh, Councils Network. Absolutely. I'll be in touch. Yeah. Bye. Great. See you. Thank you, Louise. Andy, so you would like to respond to Josh's comments then? Yeah, I mean, really interesting. And it's really um, helpful, I think, to kind of understand some of the, the, the thinking, really, Josh, in terms of the work that was carried out during the review. Uh, and I still think it's going to be really um, important for us to test out elements of that in the pilots or the pathfinders that are currently being developed. Um Maybe not the full-blown RCCs envisioned in uh, Stable Homes Built on Love, but I think certainly helping us understand the role of um, 
local authorities collaborating at a local level versus where things sit in a more kind of national context and footprint. And I suppose I'm still left with that whole issue of, um, you know, the accountability of a director of children's services in relation to its children in care and and outcomes in the broader sense and how that sits alongside uh, some of the ambition in, in stable homes built on love around the configuration of RCCs. I, I do, the, the other point I just wanted to, to raise really was around the kind of market intervention bit, which I think was your original question, Sarah in terms of reflections around that because I think we have seen um, in relation to the social work workforce and agency social work um, you know a really good example of where the DfE have I think took the bull by the horns and um, have introduced or are going to introduce a set of national rules in relation to agency social work and albeit they've not gone as far as we'd have liked in terms of banning project teams to, to, to hold children's cases it actually is significantly better than we've currently got at the moment so I think you know there are um, some examples of, of the government stepping in and actually trying to kind of manage the costs, the attrition, the challenges we've got in relation to the workforce, which is so pivoted in terms of improving outcomes and realising our ambition for children. And I do wonder, and the ADCS does wonder, whether there, are, there is a opportunity for almost a set of national conditions to intervene in children's residential care, to ensure that public money is being spent on improving outcomes for children rather than shareholder dividends. I think that's the kind of question that we need to be kind of putting to the DfE in terms of, you know, could we develop a set of national rules in that space? in the way they have in relation to agency social work. Um, and I think that's something that we'd want to to pick up with them going forward. Sure. But is there not, longer term, is there not more of a role for local authorities or the public sector to provide these kind of homes themselves? Or do you think it's, well, I think I th it is something that the private sector will have to continue to deliver? I think there is absolutely a role for, um, the local authority, both in terms of recruitment of foster carers and how we work across, you know, larger footprints to try and almost think like IFAs in terms of how we kind of collaborate and, and try and recruit and support, uh, foster carers. And that's partly behind some of the, um, pilots and projects that have been rolled out in different parts of the country at the moment in terms of, um, fostering and, um, mockingbird and how we you know, um, recruit, support uh, and train up um, foster carers. And absolutely, I think, you know, there are examples um, of uh, local authorities having to look at their own internal market in terms of residential care and the types of placements that we think we need for the types of kids that need to be looked after now and in the future, both on a single footprint, but also increasingly on a more collaborative footprint. And I've already reflected a little bit on what's happening on across the Derby, Derbyshire, Nottingham, Nottinghamshire footprint and with the integrated care boards in Nottingham and in um and in Derbyshire so yes is a short answer to your question so and if we could perhaps just um step back a bit um if we kind of we dive right into this question of, of placements but just looking at the rising demand what's your sense of what's the key drivers of that I mean is it is it increased poverty is it a sort of a covid after effect or something else what do you see as being behind that? I think it's multifaceted. I think that we are broadly seeing um, more children and families needing help and support um, with more complex needs. I think certainly from a Derby perspective, um, we're seeing children now referred through to early help and children's social care that we didn't know um, before. Uh, so um, we're not seeing necessarily the same families that come through the door. Uh, we're seeing... Um, uh, 
children and families that we haven't um, previously worked with. Um, and that will be linked to um, kind of wider uh, structural challenges in relation to poverty and the impact of the kind of wider economic um, context and, and what that can sometimes mean for parenting capacity and, uh, and, and issues and challenges that start to emerge in family life. Um, and I think we're also seeing some of the um, scarring from COVID in terms of the emotional and mental health impacts on children. And I think there's something about just that whole kind of social contract. And we talk about the social contract a lot, don't we, between parents and the system and parents and schools and what that might mean in relation to things such as attendance or children that maybe are not going to school as often or children that might even be electively home educated. I worry about the um the 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 kind of impact of of COVID and some of the changes in the social contract between parents and the kind of wider system. Um, and I worry that we might have underestimated that as um, leaders as um, you know professionals in that kind of broader um, children's space um, which is why I think you know going forward we need to have a really kind of coherent joined up long-term strategy for children across government uh, that really tries to get into um, you know these issues in the kind of broadest sense and possibly even um, one single department for children and families because it's still quite disparate in terms of where things sit now that might be you know the pandemic but there is something about how can we collectively absolutely try and join things up in the right way it's as we get into that kind of you know reflection about what we think is is needed to try and, and tackle some of these issues as a system yeah it's really interested your point about the social contract what do you mean by that is it as parent parental expectations well, changed i think i think i think some of the um kind of social mores or rules or, or expectations um, or the way in which um, parents and carers engage with the system has changed a little bit uh, and I think some of that is is kind of um, being reflected now things like um, like attendance yes. at school for that's example. A good example yeah that's a that's a big one yeah yeah, yeah. Where there's been a, I think there's been a big shift I agree with Andy on that I mean on your on your question Sarah about what you know what's driving it um, there is a theme beyond social care, both adult and children's social care, that we see across public services now where more and more of our money as taxpayers is being spent propping up the crisis end of these systems. And as we get into these spirals that are very powerful, more money is being taken from the sort of preventative end to spend on the crisis end. So there's something about rethinking public services to make them sustainable to make sure they deliver value for for the public, but also that they help people live a, a better life, you know, that they don't need to reach crisis point before we then pile on in. And in my role at Foundations, there are a number of interventions and approaches that we know through rigorous trials work. So we published the world's largest randomised control trial of family group conferences last year. And they show, that study shows, that it, you know, it in a statistically significant way reduces the number of children and that enter care, and that those that do enter care, having had an, a family group conference, enter care for a shorter period of time. And yet, we know that half of all families that get to PLO stage, you know, the initial pre-court period, have not had a family group conference undertaken. So even when we know what works. Our deployment of it, our use of it is limited and families' access to it, which is the crucial bit, is limited. And we could say the same about, you know, effective parenting interventions, um, you know, of which we know a huge amount. 
There are other areas where our knowledge is incredibly low and um, domestic abuse services is one of those. We really know very little about what works for children who are victims of domestic abuse and yet it is one of the single biggest issues for children's social care to respond to. So filling some of that evidence gap is is critical and, and the example I use when I talk to people about this is Sure Start, which is that when it was dismantled, uh, when it started to be dismantled in 2010, the information wasn't available about its long-term benefits. And yet in 2018, the IFS published some very good work on the long-term benefits of SureStart. And what it found was that at its peak, the reduction in child hospitalizations alone covered one-third of the entire cost of the SureStart program, which is gobsmacking. And that, you know, didn't include anything on child development. It didn't include any. That's just the short term impacts as well, rather than the long term. Exactly. So the, we have to be able to find, you know, it's not beyond the wit of human beings to find a funding mechanism for this stuff that captures accrued benefits in reduced demand for other services, let alone the cashable benefits for local government of spending money earlier earlier in the system. And so what we need is a is a plan that kind of shifts step by step us down that path rather than the path that we're currently on. That's all we need to do. It's really simple, it's really hard, but we do know a lot about what works and uh, we need to know more, but we need to use the stuff that we've got uh, and we need a, a, a an ambitious long-term, you know, fully funded program to make it happen. And we're not that far from that. Well, that, that feels like actually quite a nice hopeful note <laughs> to end on. Um, what, what's been a fascinating discussion and, um, uh, some great debate as well over regional care cooperatives. Um, and also encouraging to hear that there are, there are things that, um, that councils and, and children's services can do now. So thank you both for your time. Um, thank you everyone for listening and, um, please, uh, visit lgcplus.com for, for more local government news and if you enjoyed the podcast please like and subscribe and we'll see you next time thanks for listening to this episode of the local authority brought to you by local government chronicle you can listen to the full back catalogue of episodes on apple spotify or google podcasts or by visiting lgcplus.com forward slash podcast we'll see you next time for another episode of the local authority 